Well, if you got your Bibles today, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11, where we're jumping in and uh, where we'll be digging in today. We're in this series called Blended, where we are learning how our life is not this compartmentalized uh, thing that we have part spiritual, part social, part education, part this, part that, that it's all blended together. Everything is a part of something else, especially when it comes to how God interacts in our life and how he's involved in our life. And so as we talk about this blended life, we're actually talking about this idea that God's spirituality, our spiritual nature plays into every part of who we are. And uh, we, we've been talking about that kind of jokingly over the past uh, couple of weeks of how that plays out. And I, I, when I was thinking about blending things together, initially one of the things that came to my mind was chemistry back in high school. I don't know if you took chemistry, but you, know, you learn certain things don't mix well together. Like the easy one is oil and water, right? You would you'd do a thing and oil and water, and you could shake it up and you could watch it dissipate and you would have... I don't remember which one's on top. Is the oil on top or the water? The oil, I think, is on top, and then the water's on bottom, and you know different densities, and, and I, I loved all that stuff. But then our chemistry teacher one day showed us this experiment. He says, you should never do this, which, of course, if you tell a group of high school kids that you should never do this, it's like begging us to do it. And so he got uh, it just raw sodium, so not salt, but raw sodium. And when you put it in water, it has an incredible effect. It starts to bubble, smoke, it literally begins to catch on fire, and it, it completely explodes. And he had put like this much in a cup of water. Well, we went through the class, and we're having fun, and this this teacher, he was also a baseball coach, and like, I'm not sure he was actually a trained science teacher, but uh, he he forgot to put the sodium up. And so uh, at the end of class, I thought, you know what would be fun? Let's get a little bigger chunk of this sodium. And uh, so there was this tub of water on the uh, counter there. And I, I, I did learn that you're not supposed to touch sodium with your hand because it will burn you as well. So I just popped off a chunk of the sodium, grabbed the little tongs, and just dumped it in the water, thinking this would be a great way to end class. It will be fun. Well, it was a great way to bring the class to an end very quickly because it immediately began to react. And as it react, it shot sparks as it exploded up into the sky, up into the room. And even the, it started to singe the ceiling on top. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, we are about to burn the school down by trying to mix these two things together that don't go together. And what we're going to talk about today is something we think in our lives is oil and water. We think it's sodium and water, that if these two things come together, they don't mix. And it's this idea that we're talking about loving the Lord, our God, with all of our mind, with our mind, with how we think. We've been working through Matthew 12, 28 through 31, and it'll be on the screen. Let me just read it to you if you aren't familiar. It says, one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he, he's talking about Jesus, had answered them well. He asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no command greater than these. 
And we spent the last two weeks talking about our soul and our strength, how we love God from our core and who we are at our core helps us create and connect with God as, as a creative being that we were created in his image and we were created to create and show love to other people. Last week we talked about how we love God with our, with our strength, with our might. And we talked about how that word meant that we love God vehemently. That it causes us to do something, to move into action that is purposeful and powerful. We can't just say we love God and not let it come out in who we are and what we do. And now this week as we talk about the mind, we begin to think about the mind and how we love him with our soul. And we equate mind often to knowledge, education, and science. And this is where we get the two things that we think don't connect, that don't mix. This idea that there's a tension often that we feel between theology and science, that they don't mix. And we often see science and education as the opposite of theology and belief. And we think that science is trying to disprove God and theology is not bound by the scientific laws and rules of this universe. And we see them as competing things. Well, what I want us to do today And if you've been coming to this series, you realize how we do this. I teach for about 15 or 20 minutes. And then at the end of the series, we're going to interview someone that has been playing this out in their life, that understands kind of both of these natures. So what I want us to do today is is two things, to see how science and theology are actually not in competition with one another. Instead, they are complementary to one another. Theology is simply this. It is the study of the character of God. That's what theology is. Who is God? And as we study theology, we try to understand the forgiving nature of God, the gracious nature of God, the just nature of God, all the different things, the holy nature of God. It is the study of the character of God, while science is simply the study of the creation of God, the things that God created and how they work together, how they work in unison with one another. Science is not detached from God. It is simply the study of the creation of God. And for far too long, we as Christians have shied away from science, often trying to discount or disprove scientific arguments instead of seeing them as a way that God can demonstrate his character and his creative nature. But to do this, we have to change the way we think, change the way that we engage with reality. And this is exactly what Paul told us to do in here when he wrote this, when he said, when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength that we need to change how we think. Typically when we hear this verse of loving the Lord with all of our mind, here's what comes to our mind. We think that I need to study more about God, learn more about his teachings, his command, and we should dive into studies, listen to more sermons, listen to more podcasts, fill our mind with information. Let me be very clear. There's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong. I would encourage you to do that. Study God more. Study theology, study that. But when it says mind here, it's not just talking about information. When we talk about our mind, it, it means that that information means that we actually have a mental transformation, that it changes how we think, how we view things. It's not just receiving more information about God, which is theology, but it's changing how we process that information and view that information and ultimately how that information applies to us as we walk through this creation of God, which is science. This word used here for mind actually means deep thought with implication. Love the Lord your God with deep thought that will bring implication to your life. It's basically saying a love of the mind for God is a love that will change how we understand everything. 
It will change how we understand everything. And in our teaching time this morning, I want us to see what this transformation that we're talking about. How do we transform how we think, how we process and apply information? And there's one simple term that as we interject it into our life will change how we think. And this is what it means to love the Lord your God with all your mind. It's to actually interject this, faith, into how you think. Faith. We don't just look at scientific findings and be like, okay, that's what that means. Or we don't just read the Bible and say that. We take these two compete, what we think are competing but are actually complementary things, and through faith, we see how they play out in our life. The character of God and the creation of God. This is how they play out. Faith enters into the process. Ephesians 2, eight says this is on the screens. It says, for by grace have you been saved, what? Through faith. It's not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. I want you to hear this morning. Faith is the connective tissue that binds theology and science together, that binds the character of God and the creation of God together. It is what allows us to view creation through the lens of the character of God. Faith is the central point of the start of our faith, but it's also the central point of how we live out our lives, how we walk this journey with God. I want you to see this morning that faith does three things in our life. Faith first transforms our questions into insights. You know what? It's never wrong to ask how. How? How was the earth created? How did the flood happen? How did Jesus heal all these people? How did Peter walk on water? How did Jesus come back from the dead? Those aren't bad questions to ask. But when we allow faith to enter our thought process, our questions lead us to new insights about God and his interactions with mankind instead of just a scientific answer. There are scientific things that we can look at each of those, but it's not just trying to find facts. It's trying to understand how the facts about God's creation and the facts about God demonstrate together. How each of these things were this demonstration of the aspect of his nature. The flood, creation, all these things, God was demonstrating who he was. Second thing faith does is this. Faith transforms doubts into understanding. Doubts into understanding. It's never wrong to ask the question, why? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there unjust things that happen in our world? Why Why do I seem to be so prone to sin and rebellion in my life? It's never wrong to ask the why questions. But when we allow faith to enter into our thought process, our doubts turn to understanding. We start to see the big picture and we understand this. I don't know everything and I never will. There are parts of this world that I will never understand and parts of it that I will understand a little bit better tomorrow than I do today. And so it turns our doubts into understanding. The third thing that faith does is this. It transforms confusion into comprehension confusion into comprehensions. And I want you to hear this. It's never wrong to ask the question, what? What? What do I need in this situation? What is God's will? What is right and wrong? What's going to happen if I make the wrong decision? What do I need to do? It's never wrong to ask that question. But again, when we allow faith to enter into our thought process, this confusion turns to comprehension. We start to walk out the commands of God. We start to live in obedience to what he's told us to do. And as we do that, understanding comes, comprehension comes. This is why this is here. This is how I walk through this. This is the answer to the what. And our questions go from what's this for, God, to what's next? What's next? Because we start to understand this is that. I know sitting in a room like this, 
there are probably thousands of what, why, and how questions. And sometimes in a, in a church, we're, we're basically told, don't think about it. Just trust God. I want to challenge that thought this morning. I want to challenge you to think about it. I want to challenge you to use your mind and allow faith to come into the equation and allow God to bring answers to the why and the how and the what. It's not wrong to ask those questions, but where we often fail is we ask them of the wrong person. We don't ask them of God. We ask them of our neighbor. We ask them of a friend, a coworker. And not that other people can't speak wisdom into our life, but the source of all wisdom is the creator of the universe. And if we have a question, the first question is to go to him. And he loves that. This is why he says, love the Lord with all your mind. And the beauty of this is this. I want you to understand, we are not the first generation in this world to deal with this issue of science and theology, the character of God and the creation of God. It's been a struggle since the beginning of time, and Scripture deeply addresses this. And in Hebrews chapter 11, the author of this book is talking, I want you to get this, he's talking to a group of Jewish followers of Christ who have had a hard time believing that just faith in Jesus is the only way of salvation. So they've gone, catch this for a minute, Jewish people have gone from, you have to sacrifice, you have to pray, you have to go to temple, you have to do, 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 do this to reconcile yourself to God. Jesus comes, miraculous moment in history, salvation is now through faith in Christ, and these Jewish people want to believe it, but they're like, that's not the way I think. I think differently. I want to keep doing this stuff and have faith. And Hebrews is like, no, stop. This isn't even the first time this has happened. It's the first time God came to this earth in the form of a man, but it's not the first time God has intervened in the life of humanity. And this writer is right here telling us, look, there's something amazing has happened. Something has changed that you may not fully understand, which is science, right? But it created a monumental shift in how we understand God, which is theology. He's telling them to think deeply about what you know about Jesus and let your mind through your love for him change how you think. Set these old things aside and start to think in a new way. Generations before you and before me have dealt with the same questions, doubts, and confusions, but faith has transformed how they think to understand God better. And this is what Hebrews 11 is all about. It's a storied example of people who allowed faith to enter into a time in their life that was transformational, not just in their life, but in human history. Let's look together at a few examples, and then we'll get to our interview. Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. I love at the very outset of this chapter, the author says, you know what? Faith is something you can't understand. Faith is actually admitting there are things in this world that I will not understand. Things that I can't see, I can't touch, I can't feel, but yet will have impact on me. This is the life of a follower of Christ, is living it out in a way that understands there is something bigger than me. There's something greater than me, something bigger than me. And guess what? That's God. You know what? If I could figure out everything about God, he would cease to be God. Like he would be no bigger than me. If I had the full knowledge and understanding and I had completely able to understand and predict and and explain everything about God, he would cease to be God. 
That's what I love. Our God is so big and so powerful and so more than us. He is unexplainable. He's supernatural. There will be things, this is what the writer's saying here, there will be things that happen in your life that you can't understand. And he starts going through a list of what I call some crazy moments in biblical history. And the first one is this, is in Hebrews chapter 3. It's the crazy moment of creation. 11.3 says this, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. The writer reminds us that, look, I have got no idea exactly how the world was formed, except that it was formed by the word of God. God spoke it. It was created. Could have taken seven days, seven seconds, seven snaps of his finger, seven words of his mouth. I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't think any of us were old enough to be there. Right? But I do know, I have no doubt by faith that it was created by God. That he formed it, he shaped it, he molded it, and he made a place for you and I to live in his creation. He set the laws of nature in place. If you walk through this earth, if you experience the nature of this earth, you cannot help but see the hand of God in creation. We work sometimes to diminish it and hide it, but when we just get in nature, we see the hand of God. But we think we sometimes we've got to know every detail. Give me the facts. Some of us were in Dallas, Texas this week for a trip, and uh, where our hotel we were staying at looked over Dealey Plaza, where John F. Kennedy was shot. I mean, we could see the whole of it there. And I've, the Kennedy assassination has been like a thing in my life for years. Like, I just have studied it. I, I, I you know, just enjoyed the intrigue of it and everything. And, like, I want to know what really happened. Like, we could see the grassy knoll. Chase was talking about this new theory of, like, a guy in a, in a sewer that popped up and shot him from the front. And like, all these different. How many shows have been made about the JFK assassination, right? There's something that I don't know and I want to know. And if, if the person that would know, that knows, would just tell me, I wouldn't tell anybody else. <laughs> I'd be fine. I would be content for a little while, right? And then I'd want to, we somehow equate knowledge with love and acceptance. The more that I know, the more that somebody tells me, the more they love me. And we do this with God. If he would just explain to me and show me exactly how the world was created, it means that he loves me and that I can love him more. And you know what? There is so much knowledge in God that we can't know it all. God doesn't withhold knowledge from anybody, but there's so much of it, we can't contain it. Our simple minds can't contain it. It's too much. Knowledge is not our pathway to God. Faith is. It's our pathway to God. There's another crazy story he talks about here in 11.5, and it's the story of Enoch. It said, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. This is a crazy story in the Bible. This guy's walking, this prophet of God who knew God very deeply. It spent time in God's creation, and God's like, All right, you're done. Come on home. And like just snatch him up. And like the people that were like, Enoch's just gone. Like, like, I don't know how this worked. The people that were reading, they didn't know how this worked. But it was by faith that if I look at this story, it's like God said this. Look, this world, you got it figured out. I've used my creation enough to teach you. Come on and be with me. Come learn more of the character of God now. I don't know if that's exactly what it was. By faith, I can believe that. I, I mean, it's, it is this idea that, there are things in life that are going to happen that are going to be crazy in our life that we don't understand. But by faith, God is teaching us and moving us. And here's faith leads us closer and closer 
to our creator, not further from him. So knowledge is not the path to God. Faith is the pathway, and faith will move us closer and closer to him. And the third crazy moment here is the story of Noah and the flood. Verse 7 says this, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for saving his household. So the writer of Hebrews is like, look, you guys all know the story of Noah, right, everybody? Yep. Can you explain that one? Like, this flood comes, covers the earth. Noah built a boat big enough for all these animals. Like, him and his kids do it. Like, there's so much in this story. I just don't get I don't understand. It's bigger than my man can handle. Like, why would God wipe everybody out? You know, all these questions that come to mind. It's okay to ask these questions. And he's saying, look, Noah didn't even know. By faith, he built an ark. He just stepped forward and started putting into obedience what he knew God had asked him to do. And this is the key thought here. As our faith is our pathway to God, faith moves us closer to God, our faith helps us become obedient to God. Do you know why most of us struggle with obedience to God? It's because we go way back over here, and we, do, we think knowledge is the pathway to God. And we think, once I get it figured out, then I can obey. Instead of, no, it's about faith, it's about trust, it's about not having to have every bit of knowledge and knowing that then my, my faith will draw me closer to understanding who God is so that I can obey him. This is what it means to change how we think. Can I be very honest with you? If you struggle with a sin in here, you struggle with an attitude, or you struggle with whatever it is that you feel like is keeping you from God, until you allow faith to fully activate in your life, you can't get over it. You're not going to get past it until you change how you think. And faith changes how we think. Sin that I once thought was, you know, that it satisfied me will now become repulsive to me. Things that I thought I needed in my life, desires that I longed for, will become empty treasures. Wood, hay, and stubble, the scripture says. And it will change how I think. If you've never read all of Hebrews 11, I would encourage you to do so because it goes on and he talks about Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Samson, David, Samuel. All these point that people that went through some incredible turning points that they didn't fully understand, but it changed the way they thought about God. The story of an arrogant young man who becomes the second in command in Egypt. The story of a murderer who leads the people of Israel out of bondage. The story of a prostitute who puts her life on the line for the men of God. The story of a powerful man driven by lust that topples the Philistine Empire. And the story of a shepherd who becomes king and many, many more stories. And we could tell our own stories in here of how faith has moved mountains in our life. Each of these represents a moment where faith bound the character of God together and the creation of God together, that it bound science and theology together. And it's when God moved us from questions, doubts, and confusions to insights, understanding, and comprehension. This morning as we move to our interview time to end the service, I've asked William to come and uh, do our interview uh, this morning. So William, if you will come up and begin that process. So I've actually I've got to introduce our interview um, actually had a, a minor in physics and industrial engineering. Wrote a paper on nuclear subparticles and their energy. His apartment smells of rich mahogany. has many little <laughs> books. Patrick Thompson. <laughs> 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 
Oh, that's true. <laughs> I don't have mahogany in my uh, apartment, I don't think. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so actually, this was born out of something that I've always wanted to do. Uh, since I moved to New York, I, I found that there's a need maybe for some of the stories of the Bible to be retold. So I, I approached Patrick about uh, doing a podcast about some stories, and we just have had some of these back-and-forth conversations. And honestly, science and faith sort of intertwine with, with uh, you know, technology and physiology, biology, all those things. So actually, we're going to touch on all three yeah. of those things. Um, so I picked out three things that I want to ask you about from the beginning, middle, and end of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And then we'll go through those. And you can give us your best scientific answer. Thank you. So, I'll start at the, be- at the beginning of everything. In Genesis 1-1, everyone knows the verse, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And with that one verse, maybe the frontier of science versus faith is born with the creation yeah. story. Uh, so, I've seen articles that have been published by scientists that are finding evidence of light refracting, that they can prove, whether from a, a Big Bang or some happening, that they can see the the negative impact of light refracting across the universe. So does does that story support or does that pull apart the creation story that we know in the Bible? Yeah. So I actually love Genesis 1. It's an incredible uh it, it is the connection of science and theology together. And very early in the Bible, at the very first verses, you get this picture of God creating the natural way of things, that things will be ordered and will work, and he will demonstrate his character through those things. And so, again, if, you're, if you've studied the Bible uh, deeply at all, or even look back at the early language, Genesis 1 is a poem. Uh, it's written in poetic form. And like you see that even in the English translation of it, like the beginning and end of day one, the beginning, you see these repeating things. And Genesis one is poetic in nature, but it's also scientific in nature. Like uh, you talk about how, you know, there was nothing and now there was something, uh, whether it's light or whatever. And what did God create first? It was let there be light. And light was the first thing that created and light brings life. And if you go through Genesis, we're not, we won't spend the whole time on it. But the one thing I want to show you this morning in Genesis uh, and even with my physics background, like this, light is the beginning of all things. Like light is the source that brings energy to all things. And so you cannot have life. Life cannot be sustained. Life cannot go without light. And what is God even, what is Christ even referred to? The light of life. I mean, oftentimes the creator is referred to as the light. And so if you go through Genesis 1, the creation story, you see a scientific method model of creating the environment by which life can be sustained. So he creates this formless void. He creates a a terra matter that can hold something. Then he adds water, atmosphere, sun, light, moon, stars, things that begin to control him. He brings vegetation, and out of that, after the vegetation, he brings living things that can be sustained off of that vegetation. And eventually he brings into it human life. Like if he would have just said, boom, human life, in reality... In Genesis 1, all of Genesis 1 could have been contained in one sentence. God created everything. Boom, it's done. Now let's pick it up. Instead, he gave us a scientific picture of how the environment for a life sustains us. And it's a beautiful picture, Genesis 1 is, of, uh, of that. And so I always, creation is one of those stories that people often show, you know, show a competition between you know, is earth this old or that old? I don't know. I do know this, that God, and I mentioned this in the sermon, God's hand is all over creation. There's no doubt about it. 
And I don't have to know exactly how he did it. I have to walk in faith that he did do it. And in doing it, this is then the conversation I want to have with people. I don't, I don't really want to argue seven days versus seven million, billion, jillion, whatever years. I want to argue or have a conversation about the creative nature of God and that God created an environment for us to live out of, and we get to respond to him in faith. I think we get so off track by trying to argue dates than actually the fact that God created us, formed us, sparked life in us. So that's how I would look Genesis 1 from a science and theology perspective of connectivity. All right. Well answered. So that's maybe the beginning of the, you know, tug of war, if you will, between faith, biblical view, history, science, all those things. Uh, so let's jump to the middle to maybe what is the, the focal point of the Christian faith, which is the death and resurrection of, of Jesus. So uh, we know from the book of Luke, and uh, Luke's uh, occupation, he was a doctor. doctor. So he said about, you know, giving a very specific account of some of the things that happened that you can go back in our uh, you know, modern medical books, we can account for these specific things. Um, if you were here for Easter, I sang a song about, uh, it's by Phil Wickham, when, when blood and water hit the ground at the crucifixion. Some of those details. So how maybe does, does science support the yeah. death and resurrection of Jesus from, from that different point of view? Yeah, so again, central point of our faith. And I love how uh, Luke's account of the, uh, the crucifixion is basically dealing with what he knows are already the doubts. Right? So what are some doubts about Jesus? Well, Jesus didn't really die. Like, he just swooned, you know, after the cross, and they took him, hit him, and then he came back and wiped his brow, and everything was all right, you know. And so uh, what Luke does when he's accounting for the crucifixion is at the end of his account, it's basically a death certificate of Jesus. In fact, there's no way this man was still alive. So from how he was beaten, the detail of how he's beaten, how many lashes, that there was a... You know, there was a number that, of lashes that they weren't allowed to go to because they'd bring a person to death. Jesus got one less than that. And then the way that he was put on the cross, the way that he was, the details of how he was nailed to the cross and the idea that, you know, the cross was a very excruciating death. And we talked about some of that before. But one of the things that happens at crucifixion as you really struggle to be, breathe, the, the pericardium around the heart enlarges, which is filled with water. So there's a water sack around the heart. As you struggle to breathe and, and you're doing, going through the process of crucifixion, you can literally see people's chest expand as the water sack around the heart would, would fill more with water to try to protect that because of the strain going on. And so Luke's accounting for all of this, and when they – pierced Jesus in the side, and it says literally blood and water as much flowed out of Jesus. It is them showing that they had pierced both the pericardium sac and the heart. And that's why blood and water both flowed out. So his, there, there was no, well, maybe it was his lung that was pierced, or maybe they didn't get his heart. The only way water would flow out of his side was if his heart was pierced. It's the only way. And so that's the picture. Luke, in that detail, is giving a detailed scientific account of why we know what, that that happened to Jesus. And even the fact that they didn't, as the guards were coming by, and they did not break Jesus' legs. They, the only reason they would break somebody's legs at the cross was to immediately suffocate them because their legs were all that was allowing them to continue to breathe. And so when they came to Jesus, not only was his heart already pierced, but he was no longer breathing. There was no signs of breath going on. So they didn't break his, they didn't break his knee. They didn't break his legs. So in this account, he is constantly showing 
basically this physical scientific death certificate that's saying, look, if you don't think Jesus, if you think Jesus just swooned on the cross, get that out of your mind. The man was killed. He was dead. And then when you go to the resurrection, I cannot scientifically prove the resurrection. It's supernatural. All right. There's no hidden knowledge that I'm going to bestow on you this morning. But here's logical knowledge that I can bestow upon you. Uh, you were talking this week. Do you have that I, quote? I, I don't know. have the specific quote, but it was some sort of person that ended up in prison. It was a mobster, very credible source. Uh, he came to faith late in life, but he gave an idea. And this is actually science because I believe this is called deductive reasoning. Yes. That he said, I know from my time in organized crime if there's more than two people that know something, the secret cannot be kept. Yet, Jesus had disciples and yeah. 11 that followed through the story were actually killed for their beliefs. So if 11 people were willing to die for something and no one cracked and no one decided that, okay, the, the yeah. gig's up. The body's the over there. Happened, yeah. He wasn't resurrected yeah. from the dead. I feel like you can use deductive reasoning and say that if 11 people were willing to go to their yeah. death proclaiming that that is true and not one of the 11 gave up the yeah. great almighty secret uh, you know forget dan brown and all the things yeah. that, that come after i feel like that's as a human knowing what it what it would take you know to go to yeah. death for something that that belief has to be more than steadfast but maybe it's conviction of faith so yeah in, in that reasoning you know deductive reasoning i feel like that's pretty infallible yeah. and that's so you have that logical aspect of it you also then have a kind of a legal aspect of it from the number of eyewitnesses that saw Jesus interacted with Jesus wrote down accounts of those interactions with Jesus it, basically it's been shown before if if we were in a courtroom trying to have a judge decide if the resurrection was true based just off of the eyewitness testimony and the deductive reasoning you would have to rule that Jesus was alive and this is that's what I love. This isn't faith and science, right? It's not just, I oh, believe it, don't think about it. He's saying think about it. Actually deduce why this is true. So that's part of that one. We could certainly talk about that one more and more. But. Sure, yeah. We'll, we'll move on to the, to the last part here. So if we've had the sort of the frontier of the argument or the, the tug of war between uh, faith and science, if you will, and then we've got the focal point of the Christian belief that Jesus died and, and rose again. Uh, focusing on the resurrection. The last one is maybe a takeaway. Uh, when I read or hear about Revelation, that's the one book that sucks me in that maybe I've had a dry spell, haven't read my Bible for a little while. I can always go to Revelation and read that. So, you know, as the Bible was written, uh, everything has sort of already happened, mm -hmm. except Revelation talks about the future. So um, if there's another thing, we've, we've gone through biology and nature and then physiology about, you know, the, the physical aspects of the death and resurrection. So let's talk about technology. Yeah. So as we know, uh, when John was given his visions, uh, at that time, he can only envision things as he knows. Uh, so hold on to that for just a moment as we talk about some of the things that he's seen. Uh, but then also, for that scripture fulfillment, we've got a few things that, that come up, and I'll ask specifically. So go for the first one, and then I'll give you some other maybe hit points of, of John's uh, vision yeah. of the Revelation. So you got, you know, when you look at Revelation, it's, uh, it's John's vision of the future of the end times, of what things will be like when the return of Jesus toward the end of the world. If you've never read it, it's a strangely compelling book. Um, but it is a, it's this visionary telling. Now, I read it, and I'm still confused. Like 2,000 years later, right? I mean, there's things that he writes in there that I'm like, what, how, how's that going to happen? But there are things that are happening in there now 
that are like we could see now it's talking about the prophets that are going to be killed and like left in the streets and the whole world will see those like up until a few years ago that wouldn't be now we can all we don't even have to go watch it on our tvs right like we have instantaneous access to information around the world right now i have this app on my phone called citizen that if something happens in this neighborhood it buzzes in my pocket and tells me there's a fire two doors down like that instantaneous and somebody that's there can broadcast live and i can watch it I mean, this kind of technology, the, the kind of information that can be streamed into our house immediately uh, allows you to read Revelation and go, okay, that's how a world could be deceived. That's how a world could be tricked or, or to, taught to believe something or to see something. And I'm not a – I don't pretend to know what technology is coming, but there are things if you read about with uh, types of computing and nanotechnology that you're just like – Please, God, like, I don't, I don't want those things around in my body, you know, and stuff like that. I mean, we, all this stuff about paying with, like, something in your arm that's mentioned in Revelation, like, I, I can pay with my phone. That's, that's the yeah. world I work in. That's, yeah. that's here. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's... Forget phone. There, there's actually talk of, uh, you know, medical implants that are going to hold your information, things like that. The technology is here. Yeah. So we're, we're at that point that technology and some of those um, prophetical scriptures, they're actually they've mm-hmm. caught up. Uh, and then some of the more abstract things that we're seeing visions of, uh, you know, John's writing down, you know, talking about, uh, you know, things that he sees like right. dra- dra- dragonflies right. flying and picking people right. up or exploding things or, a, you know, maybe a beast coming out of the sea. I mean, I feel like there's technology out there that, yeah, that matches that. Certainly. If you look at it from a metaphor or a John trying to explain things as best he can with, yeah. with the world that he knows at that time period. Probably the most uh, popular one of that is, that, you know, John never had seen a mechanical helicopter in his life. But when he records this idea of these giant locusts with the face of men swarming the earth, like people talk about how he describes it is actually like the picture of an Apache helicopter or something like that, that he's actually recounting something that he has no framework of how to communicate what it is, uh, but yet is trying to, in the best terms, communicate. You know, he talks about things coming out of the sea, you know, nuclear missiles being shot out of it. There's all different kind of ways that we could engage with that. And so the thing I would say with this as we close is like faith, you know, theology and, and even technology, we don't have to be scared of technology. We don't have to run from it. But again, what do you interject into it? Faith. Like how do we allow faith to allow us to handle technology the right way? How do we allow it to handle physiology and, and all the other scientific aspects of things? We don't separate these two. When we separate these two is when we get in trouble. It's when we learn that these two are complementary and through faith it makes an impact in our life. So I think the common theme is, is that they do actually complement one another. Right. And I think if you're trying to look for maybe an underlying sense to take away is when you're having conversations about faith, inject science into that. Or if you're having a scientific conversation, it's okay to bring faith to that argument. And I think that sort of closes the loop yeah. where we, we come to find that the two actually are very complementary and not on opposite yeah. sides of the fence. So uh, that's, that's our, our science expert, Patrick Thompson. Give him a hand. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Awesome. It's fun being interviewed. I haven't it's been interviewed in a while. So uh, if you don't want I, I do have a degree in uh, physics and engineering and uh, have used those at different times in my life, not typically with uh, church planting. <laughs> but uh, 
Hey, uh, as we come to the close of our service, we've got a couple of things unique today. I'm going to pray for us in just a minute, and then we'll take our offering. And then as we close our service, uh, we're having a baptism service on the fifth floor immediately following this. Everyone's invited. We've got three people that we're going to be baptizing. And uh, I'm going to ask them at the close of our to come down, and we're just going to share, pray over them, and then we'll head up and, uh, and do that. So let me pray for us, and then, uh, and then we'll take our offering, and I go from there. Father, thank you for today and your word today and the way that it challenges us to think differently. God, help us to love you with all of our mind. And God, may the gospel that we talked about this morning of seeing our lives transformed. God, if there is someone here today that needs that life-changing power of the gospel, may they surrender to you. May they reach out and God, not just to you, but then to others around and to talk about uh, how their life is being impacted by that truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.